Drama City Productions presets. Immersion rig now online. Welcome nerd. Error security update needed. Error. 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 Forcing launch. Now loading episode 95. Welcome to Horror Month, featuring horror. What the prime time, bitch? Featuring horror. Some kind of joke, the trick or treated to death tonight. You don't know what death is. Featuring horror. Jason was my son, and today is his birthday. I'm Tahira. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Dan. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. Christian, happy fucking Halloween, man. Happy Halloween. Yeah, we're dropping the episode early. It's our Halloween special. Yes. And Christian, I am up to my fucking nose in Nightmare Before Christmas right now. Right. My daughter has like become obsessed with the movie. And oh, you said Nightmare Before Christmas. No, not Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> I was like, what? Damon, I have to call DCFS now. <laughs> Yes, my four-year-old daughter is obsessed <laughs> with Freddy Krueger. No, uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. Yes. She has been listening to the soundtrack non-stop for the last week. So, and like when she's not listening to the soundtrack, she is singing the soundtrack to me. <laughs> she's got a great memory, though. I will give that to her because she pretty much has like half of it like memorized at this point. So, but I, I'm pretty much done. And it's funny because it's actually like the 26th anniversary of the movie, like mm-hmm. as we record this. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and ask you a question, Christian. The age-old question. Is Nightmare Before <laughs> Christmas a Halloween movie or is it a Christmas movie? Uh, it's technically both. Technically both. That sounds a little weak, Christian. That's, <laughs> it's, it's, that's a cop-out. I feel more that I'm more inclined to watch it during the um, Halloween season, if that helps. Okay. okay. But I am very middle of the road where I could watch it either season. Yeah. And I feel like it's it has been towing that mm-hmm. line. If you just look at like decorations and stuff like that and marketing, I mean, it basically has like a shelf on each like store, like like. Pretty much, like, during both seasons, it has, like, a shelf in all the stores now. Like, I mean, they're pretty smart about it, marketing-wise. If I were to get more technical, it is very much a Christmas-style story. Well, it's all about Jack discovering Christmas. But it's so entrenched in (laughs) Halloween that it's hard to, like, look past that. Exactly. You know, for me, I agree. I am more inclined to watch it during the Halloween season um, and, like, listen to the soundtrack and everything. But, yeah, I I do throw in, like, what's this, like, on my, like, Christmas, like, playlist and everything. Um, But I do. And I also have, like, plenty of, like, you know, Jack, like, um, ornaments Mm -hmm. for the tree. So, I don't know, man. (laughs) Maybe I'm going to take the cop out, too, and say it is both. See? See? I mean, what a genius Tim Burton is, though, right? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty smart. Just so, printing money there. Get so, a bunch of goth kids to love Christmas. <laughs> so now you get to watch it this season, and then again, once Christmas time comes. 
that's right. No, I'm done with it. At this point, <laughs> my daughter's just run into the ground, so we're going to take a break after, you know, the 31st has passed. Come on, we're, we're this gonna be is done. Halloween. I, this oh is Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> she has killed it for me this year, but no. I, I love the movie. I really do. So, All right, so speaking of Halloween, that's why we're here. All month long, we've been celebrating Horror Month here on the Amazing Nerd Show, and we're finally here. The last three picks for our top horror icon countdown. Yes. So, but before we get into it, let's go ahead and let's run down our picks. Yeah, starting off at number 15, we had Sam. From Trick or Treats. That's right. Number 14, we had Samara from The Ring. Uh, 13, we had Candyman from Candyman. Uh, number 12, we had Dr. Hannibal Lecter himself. Uh, number 11, we had Jack Torrance from The Shining. Number 10, we had Jigsaw from the Saw franchise. Uh, number 9, we had Ash from Evil Dead. Number 8, we had Reagan from The Exorcist. Number 7, we had Pennywise from It. And number 6, we had Chucky from Child's Play. Number 5, we had Pinhead from Hellraiser. And at number 4, we had Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Now, Damon, before we get into those top three, were there any that didn't make the list? Yes, well, we had quite a few honorable mentions, mm. pretty much. Uh, it really should have been a top 20 list, <laughs> but we were just too damn lazy. Hey, this worked out right. <laughs> So, uh, yes, we had the Tall Man from Phantasm, Norman Bates from Psycho, the Firefly Family from Devil's Rejects and House of a Thousand Corpses, uh, Laurie Strode, and Dr. Loomis from Halloween, and Ghostface from Scream. So those are awesome characters that just didn't quite make the cut. No. Pun intended. <laughs> so, we gotta get into it. What was number three? All right, drum roll, Christian. Number three is none other than Freddy Krueger. The kids of Elm Street don't know it yet, but something is coming to get them. There's something out there, isn't there? <laughs> You just see cuts happen. What did that, Lieutenant? I don't know. There's a coroner got to say. He's in the jaw and puking since he saw it. They're gonna kill me for sure. Did you do it? There was somebody else there. He was locked in a room with a girl who went in alive and came out in a rubber bag. No one knows where it came from or who it will visit next. Nancy, there's something wrong with you. You're imagining things. Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> Do you believe in the boogeyman? No. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. No! She's the only one who can stop it. If she fails... I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. No one will survive. Craven, director of The Hills Have Eyes, and Last House on the Left, a new masterpiece in fantasy terror, Nightmare on Elm Street. 
When alive, Kruger was the serial killer known as the Springwood Slasher. Uh, when he was caught and released on a technicality, the parents of his victims tracked him to the boiler room of the power plant he once worked at and burned him alive. Kruger then was offered the chance to continue after his death, becoming a dream demon that could enter his victims' dreams and kill them in the dream world, thus also killing them in real life. Freddy Krueger's first appearance was in A Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, was created by Wes Craven and portrayed by Robert England, and also Jackie Earl Haley. Alright, how many kills does Freddy have? Uh, on screen we have 35. Alright, so Christian, why did Freddy make our list? Freddy is probably one of the most charismatic, fun killers, most, like, I... It's got to be well known just for his look in general. Mm -hmm. At first, you know, you've got the metal glove with the knives, the burnt face. But I mean, just as a villain in general, you know, this whole idea, the concept behind him, you know, a guy who can go into your dreams, give you hellish nightmares, which creates, of course, as a filmmaker, so many fun scenarios that you can play with at any time, um, and and then you die in the real world. Yes. As a kid, how horrifying is that? As a concept? oh, that's terrifying. <laughs> Literally, you're not safe. You mm -hmm. can't even fall asleep to get away from you know this monster. So he, and if you dream about him, he could possibly kill you. Exactly. I, think... I remember as a kid, mm -hmm. if I dreamt about him, I felt like, oh my god, is this the start of mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> <laughs> of, you know, one of these movies. Is, is this, you know, am I going to die now? Is he going to, like, stalk me in my dreams for the next couple nights and then I, eventually I'm just going to, you know, you know, go wayward, you know, with the rest of his victims. So, I mean, just, I mean, it's such a great concept, you know, that Wes Craven came up with and just a truly horrific for a young kid, mm -hmm. you know, because, I mean, the one safe haven I had before was being able to fall asleep. You know, at night, you know, with like, you know, when I was up late, you know, worrying about Jason mm -hmm. or Michael Myers, falling asleep was welcome. Um, but like Freddie ruined all of that for me. <laughs> so, um, you know, and like, like you were saying, the look, um, you know, the, the fact that he was like a burn victim, um, the glove, you know, and just the signature sound that you would get with mm -hmm. him, like kind of, you know, you know, scraping it across metal, you know, like, you know, nails on a chalkboard. Um, just, just wonderful. I mean, just such a, you know, terrifying creature. Um, and the fact that like there was no limits to his powers and how he could like, you know, torture you and taunt you. There literally is no escape. And he was such like a pop culture, like phenomenon at the time, you know, and I think it was because he was so, I don't know, he was the one, you know, killer at the time who had like a personality. So he would make all the references and everything, which I think definitely helped him. He had all the best one-liners. He was the only, like, icon at the time that had that ability to make those, like, one-liners and everything like that. So, like, Jason, Michael, mm -hmm. you know, they're mutes. So Freddie was, you know, he was like this game show host, you know, this horrifying version of a game show host who was just stalking you in your dreams. Um, but, yeah, no, he... he he, he was literally everywhere, you know, when I say he was like a, you know, pop culture, like phenomenon, like 
I mean, we have the Fat Boys, you know, and like DJ uh, Fresh Prince of Bel Air, DJ Jazzy Jeff, like both had songs about him. Um, they, they there was like a nine seven six number that you could call. He had his own NBC like TV show, you know, late night Saturday nights. Um, just I mean, he was literally everywhere. Kids were already dressing up mm-hmm. as him for you know for Halloween. Um, which is pretty fucking sick and twisted if you think about it, because he is like this child killer. <laughs> yes. Um, questionable. Like I don't know if they in the original do they call him like a like a molester too? They were going. He was like is they were gonna base point? it off of him being a molester. There's a lot of like molestation crimes going on during the time, and they decided to go with child murderer instead because they thought that would be. Uh, what's it called? Because the remake goes more yeah. that route, but I don't remember if they actually like. I don't remember if they call him, him a blaster in the yeah. movie. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like implied, but I don't think they go like mm-hmm. you know the full nine yards with it. So, but it's pretty fucked up, you know. These little kids yes. <laughs> running around with Freddy Krueger. Well, that costume on. still exists for kids and stuff. Oh like yeah, yeah. It's oh, still yeah, Ruby still popular. has it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I see kids <laughs> dress up like Freddy all the time. So. Um, but yeah, no, he was everywhere. He was the first, you know, God, he was the first like slasher icon to like start getting toys. I want to say at that point, you know, I remember like vividly seeing like a Freddy Mm -hmm. Krueger doll, you know, on the shelves. Um, you know, the glove was everywhere. So, I mean, he was a big deal. Would you say he's almost like the kiss of, (laughs) of horror? What, with, like, the marketing yes, stuff? Yes, marketing-wise. No one's kissed of anything <laughs> when it comes to marketing, so those guys are just whores, so. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, he, he was a true rock star at his time, mm. so. Um, you know, and I think part of the reason why he his legacy has endured is because the sequels have been so strong. You know, I mean, the, the next three picks we have, they all have strong sequels. Where, like, the rest of the list, we were kind of talking about, like, you know, some of our picks, like mm-hmm. Pinhead and Candyman. They don't necessarily have the strongest sequels. Um, but Freddy, you know, I mean, two wasn't great. But three, I mean, three for me holds up is like neck and neck with one. Honestly, Dream Warriors is a fantastic movie, and it's something that I watch regularly. So, um, four is a great movie. So, and then if you look at like even when Wes Craven came back to the franchise with a new nightmare, um, and almost like revitalized it. Unfortunately, they didn't take it anywhere and you know run with it. Um, that's a, a truly like scary movie that gets back to Freddy's roots. So, um. You know, strong, so like strong sequels, great one liners, Robert England's performance. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, he, he doesn't get enough credit because he can be scary and he can be funny at the same time. So, I mean, yeah, it did go a bit too campy at times. It, you know, the slapstick, you know, just went on 10 at, you know, at certain points during the franchise. But I mean, it never truly jumped the shark for me. At least, never felt like it was outside like the realm of that character. Like it's something that character wouldn't like say or do. Exactly, exactly. That makes sense. And Robert England, he sold it. He really did. He really like took ownership of that character. So I think he knew what was right for that character and what didn't work for that character. 
Um, so I think that's why, too, like Jackie Earl Haley had such a hard time, you know, carrying on the torch. And a lot of fans just couldn't accept someone else, mm-hmm. you know, taking over the mantle of Freddy. So, and that, and I think it, just purely script-wise, you know, when they remade that movie, they just didn't really capture the true essence of who Freddy was. I don't think it's, was. like, I don't really think it's Jackie Earl Haley's fault no. for that film. Because I feel like if anyone would take up after Robert England, it would have been him at this point. Um, I... Yes and no. I don't think he necessarily, once again, um, gets the charm of the character. I think he worked in the premise of, like, you know, if you're remaking just solely Nightmare on Elm Street, the first movie, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if I could see, like, Jackie Earl Haley becoming the jokester that Freddy is. And, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I want my Freddy scary. Eh, you do to a certain extent. But, it, you know, to a point, he just becomes another classic boogeyman character. You want that, you know, the one-liners. Mm-hmm. You want the fucking, you know, tongue-in-cheek, you know, meta humor that Freddy brings to the table. So, I mean, I agree to a certain extent. I want the movies to be scarier. And I think when he's, you know, when the movies are at best is when they're a little more scary. But at a certain point, you do want those classic, you know, those comedic elements that, yeah. you know, Robert Englund brings. I don't know if Jackie Earl Haley could really bring that to the table. So I feel like he he was a good choice at the time. I would just need to see more from the performance. I feel like that's something that the remake was missing, um, you know. But let's not talk about the remake. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, what was your favorite Nightmare on Elm Street movie? My favorite one, it's probably, it's, it's not four, but I, I think it's more of the first one. If okay. I had to say what my favorite one is. So four was, is your second favorite? I what believe so. Okay. I hate five. Dream Child? Yes. I, I, yeah. I can't, it's one of the few horror movies where I really just don't even want to put it on. If it's on, I'm going to change it. Now, is it because you've seen it so much or you just, you're just not a fan I in general? Just, I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair enough, though. Um, yeah, Five did the whole premise of, you mm-hmm. know, uh, Freddy and a baby and the whole, you know, it, it just didn't work. You know, and, and don't get me wrong. I'm a huge fan of camp and everything. I loved Freddy versus Jason. I can understand a bad Freddy film. Uh-huh. So. No, that Freddy vs. Jason's fun. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, there's definitely things that are lackluster in it, but overall, um, it's a fun film. It it's a true like Universal monster, like you know, monster mash kind of film. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wish it would take itself a little more serious at times. You know, when they start like commentating, you know, during the battle and everything, and we start literally doing, like, elbow drops and shit. It's a little <laughs> too much for me. But, you know, it, it had such a promising, like, first hour. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's definitely things that I love in that movie. But, yeah, no. Um, for me, it's definitely three and one. So Dream Warriors, you know, in the original, I don't think you can really beat them. But I do love four. Um, four, I've probably seen the most, honestly. Mm-hmm. I think Dream Master's, like, strongest suit is the uh, dynamic between you know the kids um i think they kind of had um that like breakfast club vibe going Mm. they they had good chemistry on screen which you know some of the other you know cast you know didn't necessarily have (laughs) yeah 
So, um, but yeah, no, I, I, I think that's its strongest suit. But yeah, no, three. I mean, the whole well, three concept, is a Dream Warriors, and just the fact that, you know, they introduced the whole element of, you know, these, you know, characters being able to, like, have these, like, dream powers and everything to take on Friday. Just fantastic, man. Horror Power Rangers? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. They didn't go mecha style on them or no. anything like that. Although that'd be awesome. <laughs> I feel like we need to write that script now. Um, but yeah, no, yeah, no. For me, it's pretty much three and one. So, uh, do you have a favorite kill? Um, you know, I was trying to think about. It. I feel like style wise, I liked what happened to Johnny Depp when he gets sucked into the bed, and then the blood mm. comes squirting out just just from the visuals. But, yeah, because uh, it makes like absolutely mm-hmm. no sense. Like, what the fuck is going on? Why is the blood on the ceiling? <laughs> I feel. <laughs> Why like, aren't the cops freaking out about this? I don't know how. How does see- he have that much blood <laughs> in him? <laughs> do you what? Do you think the room was filmed upside down? I don't know much about the production on that. I believe the room was filmed upside down. That's what it makes sense. Because even looking back at it, I'm like, yeah, the blood's pooling on the ceiling. <laughs> yeah, no, I believe the room was actually filmed upside down. Okay. I believe that was, that it was a lot of fucking blood, though. So, um, I believe they went ahead. No, I'm sorry. I think they built the room upside down. Mm-hmm. Now, is that what you meant? Yeah, that's what I meant. Upside- yes. Okay, yeah, yeah. They built the set upside down. So, I believe that's what they did. I could be wrong on that, though. So, um, for me, it's definitely uh, Dream Warriors, uh, Welcome to Primetime, Bitch. <laughs> And not because it's such a classic one-liner, but it actually made me scared to watch TV as a child. Like, oh, okay. By myself for a little bit. Like, I was scared that Freddy was going to come <laughs> out of my, like, TV or become mm-hmm. my TV. So, because I was one who'd want to stay up late or sneak off to watch TV when my parents fell asleep. And after that, no. I, I was going to sleep. <laughs> God damn it. I was respecting the curfew. Mm. So, um, all right, man. So, yeah. Freddy Krueger's number three. The worm also, like, is fucking terrifying. The worm? Yes. <laughs> yeah, the worm's pretty awesome. God, All just right. the effects. Yes. I just, I don't understand why no one, uh, I guess it's just fucking, I, I'm sure it's more just copyright and figuring out who owns what, but I, I can't believe that no one's capitalizing on Nightmare on Elm Street as like a franchise, mm-hmm. like currently. It makes no fucking sense. The remake was almost, what, like close to 10 years ago now at this mm-hmm. point? Like, that seems ridiculous to me. Because, I mean, there's obviously still a market out there for it. And it did well, like, opening box office, likewise. Um, I, I'm pretty sure it made tons of money for them. But it just critically was yeah. panned. So, and, and by the fans, too, uh, um, from that standpoint. But it, it just it, it it's just amazing that, you know, the studio wouldn't want to do a franchise. Because with everything that you have now, effects-wise, and what you can do... I mean, sky's the limit for the character. So I, it, oh, I completely agree. I I believe he deserves a remake, even if it's even if Robert England does continue to play the role. Mm-hmm. I feel like oh, I would love to see Robert England. Exactly. If he can do it, if he can physically do it, I think that'd be great. So I feel like that's not it's not a character that's too hard to work around either. No, with that power set, yeah, I exactly. feel like it'd be easy to work. All you need to do is have him in that like last shot of a kill, like stabbing someone with his claws. That's all. Everything else, you know, is just a giant dream sequence. Exactly. So, yeah, I don't know. I feel like he could do it again. And he's been hinting at it strongly. Mm-hmm. So we'll see if the studios, like, you know, take the bait. It's another one I want them just to throw Disney money at. 
<laughs> Disney's not going to touch. I know. Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> all right, all right. What is number two? Number two is Michael Myers. Halloween. I spent eight years trying to reach him, and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. On Halloween, as a six-year-old child, Michael Myers was admitted into a psychiatric hospital for murdering his older sister, Judith Myers. After nearly 15 years of captivity, Myers broke out of the asylum to rain terror on the unsuspecting citizens of Haddonfield. His first appearance is in Halloween. Uh, he was created by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill. He was portrayed by Nick Castle, Tony Moran, Dick Warlock, George P. Wilbur, Don Shanks, Chris Dunnard, Brad Laurie, Tyler Maine, and James Jude Courtney. Uh, his confirmed kill count is... 121 so far. One Approximately. 21. That seems really high, but <laughs> we did the math, and mm. it, I guess it's right. <laughs> All right, Christian Michael Myers. Why yep. is he on the list? You know, um, I mean, not only is the name of the movie just synonymous with Halloween in general, but the character is so well-renowned, well-known, well like. And I keep bringing it up, but the visual of his mask, which is which I always think is hilarious. I it took it didn't know this for a long time until I was much older that it was a um, William, Shatner. William Shatner mask. A Captain Kirk mask, <laughs> exactly. yes. And not like, once you hear that, you can see it, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and uh, like, I've actually seen the real mask, you know? And it was like, oh, wow, that actually, yeah, that works. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, all they did was basically cut out the eyes and I, I really, I think they altered the hair and that's about it. <laughs> exactly. So, I'm actually staring at the mask right now as we speak. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it, it, it's emotionless. Mm -hmm. So you kind of really see what you want to see. You project what you want to see in the mask. Um, it took them a few sequels to get the mask right again. I feel like after two, like four, five, and six, didn't quite get that mask. And even H two, H two O, they had yes, a, it's all a different horror colors. story, like horror mm -hmm. stories about like the issues they had with the mask and everything. Um, but then I feel like actually. Um, Rob Zombie's uh, movies kind of brought back the classic look, mm -hmm. even though it was like, you know, fucked up and messed up. He finally got kind of that mask back to where it should be. Um, and then the mask look in the most recent movie is fantastic. So, um, uh, but yeah, so, you know, for me, Michael Myers is the boogeyman, mm -hmm. plain and simple. Um, Personifies the stalker. You know. Absolutely. And he's, he's really the first, like, slasher icon. I mean, yeah, there's Leatherface, but Michael Myers spawned so many, mm -hmm. so many copycats. Um, he really started this subgenre of, you know, slasher films. Um, just completely iconic. And it, it's not just, you know, oh, he's just this, you know, faceless killer. It's the way he went about stalking his victims. It's all about suspense. It's all about tension. They got away from it, like, in the later sequels. Yes. But, I mean, the fact that he's lurking in the shadows and the way that John Carpenter filmed it where, you you know, you sometimes you don't even notice him in the frame. 
Um, there was a, a scene a couple years ago that I didn't even realize Michael was in. Un- like, you know, and, and this is after watching the movie for mm-hmm. years, over and over again. Um, that all of a sudden I realized, holy shit, he's in the fucking background. <laughs> I had no clue for some reason. Um, but yeah, no, just, I mean, just so great. Um, and I really wish the films, like, you know, the sequels will will get back to that, hopefully. I was kind of hoping that with, like, you know, uh, yeah, with the, the 2018 mm-hmm. film. But, you know, that's another story for another day. So, but um, he kills with like almost this weird innocence where it's like he's trying to understand something you're not quite sure what it is um and the fact that you know he started at such a young age and there's no rhyme or reason Mm -hmm. you know that's what's truly haunting about him the fact that you have this like six-year-old child kill his sister and then like he's locked up and his doctor you know who's there to help him to heal him sees nothing but pure evil <laughs> in him. I mean, that tells you everything you need to know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that you know, his doctor wants to keep him behind bars for the rest of his God-given life and would probably kill him if he legally could. You know, and then, you know, he, he, still, he still tries regardless <laughs> <laughs> of the legality. Mm-hmm. So, um, just everything works for this character yes. with me. So... Um, he was a character where we went back and forth on where like he was actually my number one pick and we debated for quite a while <laughs> <laughs> till I was worn down. Yes. Um, <laughs> but uh, yes, no, Michael Myers is the boogeyman to me. So um, what was your favorite Halloween movie? My favorite is still number two. Number two. Okay. Yes. Um, I think it's. At that point, I wanted a little bit more violence at at that point where I was like, I'm watching Slasher Fix. I need a little bit more violence, mm-hmm. a little less stalking. Yeah. So that's just that's just where I was at that time. The first Halloween's definitely theater mm-hmm. of the mind. You know, um, the second Halloween movie, I mean, John Carpenter admits it where he was trying to kind of almost, you know, live up to the bar that, you know, all the copycat movies were like bringing to, mm-hmm. you know, to the show. So, I mean, he was trying to get more of that gore factor and everything. He get a bigger kill count. Um, you know, well, and I love Halloween too. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong, but Halloween is one of my favorite movies, not just horror movie movies of all time. So I've got to go with Halloween. I will say after I've you know grown and gotten more into horror and stuff, after watching the first one, the first one, especially the way it ends with Dr. Lewis and everything. Yes. That's what sells me more on Michael Myers as a character than anything else. Any any of the kills, any anything going forward, him disappearing and everything Dr. Loomis says about him sells you on the character. Such a great moment. Exactly. Such a great moment. And Donald Pleasance, I mean, he has meant as much to the success of the Halloween franchise as John Carpenter in my mind. Um, just because... He took it seriously, and then, like, after John Carpenter was gone, like, he carried that shit on his fucking back. Mm -hmm. He brings something to the film that I don't think a lesser actor could have, you know, in that role. Um, You took Loomis fucking seriously. Um, He would just go on rants, and the rants got bigger and longer, you know, Mm -hmm. as the series went on. But, like, he would, he would let you know and tell the audience why you should be taking this character 
seriously. Um, you know, I, I love what Donald Pleasance did. And that's why he almost made our top horror icon list. Because he is Ahab hunting down Moby Dick, you know. Um, you know, he's the archetype for that character. So, um, I, you know, give me a good, like, Dr. Loomis character in all my slasher films, Absolutely. you know. So, but yeah, no, I mean, and then there's Laurie Strode, you know, the first final girl who, you know, I feel like when people started to do copycat movies, they didn't truly understand who Laurie was and like, they never quite got that archetype right mm -hmm. um, because she's by far the best, you know, final girl we've ever gotten on screen. Um, just her perseverance. Um, you know, I, I don't think anyone's quite captured that since the character. And that's why it was great to see her come back, mm -hmm. um, to the franchise, okay. you know, the they, two times that she came back mm -hmm. to the franchise. They definitely make the last girl a lot weaker and characterized in a lot of the, like, especially a lot, especially in B horror films. Yes. Constantly. It's always just like very meek. It's cookie character. cutter. Yeah. You know, and I think it kind of hurts the genre at whole because they, mm -hmm. that somehow got lost for a long time. You know, modern movies, they're, they, they're getting back to that, you know, where, you know, character matters. So, um, and hopefully, you know, we keep on getting that. So, um, it's just not someone, you know, going through the motions to keep the story going. So, um, it's unfortunate because you don't have like the quality, you know, actress that like Jamie Lee Curtis is behind a lot of these performances. Mm -hmm. So I think that's part of the reason. But then also I think it was more organic, you know, the character at the time. It wasn't just like this like stereotype that, you know, these films felt like they had to like follow. So I think that's part of the problem. I feel like modern, you know, horror films at this point, they're trying harder at least and they see the importance um, you know, in that like final girl character, you know, where it's not such a stereotype or just, you know, a plot device, um, you know, for, you know, the killer to stalk. Um, they're taking their time to actually, you know, flesh out the story and everything like that. And a lot of these movies, it, you know, it seems like they're focusing and making the story actually about the character, which I feel like Halloween was, you know, about Jamie Lee Curtis. Mm -hmm. So um, it's just unfortunate that... I one of the problems I have with the sequels is the whole um, introduction to the plot element of Lori being Michael's sister. I think that like starts to weaken the franchise to a certain extent. So when they announced that they were doing the remake mm -hmm. of the film, or not the remake, the soft reboot. Okay, yeah, there you go. So <laughs> whatever they're calling it. Um, I was excited to hear that they were getting away from that element, that it was going to be, you know, a sequel to the first movie. Um, and it was going to be back to the fact that, you know, Michael is not related to, you know, Lori. Um, I thought it was scarier for the film mm -hmm. to be, you know, for Michael to be this random killer. It's just happenstance that he ran into this group of friends. Um, something's more terrifying about that. So, um, that being said, you know, I, I hope they continue that, you know, although it doesn't seem that way. It seems like Michael's going to be stalking Lori for a while, yeah. at least for two more films. <laughs> Do you have a favorite kill for Michael? Um, I would say the boiling water scene from 
uh, second one? From the hot tub. Mm-hmm. Okay. Nice, nice. Um, For me, man, I think it has to be when he kills the boyfriend in the first one. Um, he, by like impaling him through the wall and he actually lifts up and he's, up, and he's yeah. literally hanging there. <laughs> and it's not so much the kill itself, it's when Michael does the side glance. You know, that's just now just completely iconic. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think every movie, every killer copies it. Fucking Kane from the WWE has <laughs> been doing it for years. So um, for me, it, it's got to be that kill. And then I like the... the um, the nurse in the hallway in Halloween 2 when he fucking stabs her in the back I mm-hmm. think with a scalpel and then like holds her up and her fucking clogs drop I always I do enjoy his like strength elements every time they show off just how strong he is yes yes but it's never <laughs> like you know for the most part at least in the beginning it was never too over the top mm-hmm. unbelievable well I guess when he powers through the fucking doors <laughs> and he's on fire so let me let me <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it does go a little over the top but yeah but not but not overdoing it constantly it's not always in your face but how, how great is that? that scene though when he's just like this fucking force of nature mm. coming after fucking Lori and he's literally on fucking fire and he just keeps on coming after them um and, or you know when he just walks through the fucking glass door like it's nothing just awesome. That whole fucking sequence. Two is fantastic. I mean, it's probably one of the stronger, probably one of the strongest um, sequels. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Any horror series. Okay. Yeah, so I can see I, that. Yeah. I, I, I've got to put it up there because, like you, um, for me, for a while, it would go back and forth and which one I liked more was, you know, one or two. Mm-hmm. Um, they really complement each other well. And I think the whole aspect of them taking place in the same night and everything like that. But I also love uh, Dick Warlock's performance as Michael Myers. He's actually my favorite person to don that mask. And that might be a little controversial, but I just love the way he moves and everything. Um, it's it's very smooth, like his movements and everything. People have said it's kind of robotic, but I disagree. Like something about the way he moves and kind of like slinks in and out of the shadows. I always love I found really fucking creepy. So, because um, he's the only one... I. I feel like everyone else, like, they're just kind of doing an imitation of the first movie mm-hmm. where I felt like Dick Warlock actually, you know, brought his own style to it. Um, he brought something to, something different, at least, you know, to Michael. And then, like you were saying at the top, uh, you know, Michael's now synonymous with, like, Halloween. Yeah. He's almost like, you know, Halloween Santa Claus, honestly. So if you think about it. Just he's not giving you any treats. No, no, he's bringing you death. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's so great that he has his own mm-hmm. fucking holiday. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it, 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 and that's one of the reasons why it was hard for me, you know, to put him number uh-huh. two. So, and you could tell part of me still wants him to be number one. <laughs> yes. Not to downplay our number one pick. Yes. You know. Well, let's get on to our number one. All right, Christian, it's time. Yes. It's all been leading to this. (laughs) At number one, Jason Voorhees. Twelve. Friday, the 13th. You may only see it once, but that will be enough. 
Friday, the 13th. They say he died as a boy, but he keeps coming back. Jason was an iconic madman who haunts Camp Crystal Lake and the surrounding area, driven to slaughter anyone he encounters by a burning need to avenge the death of his beloved mother. Um, Jason's first appearance was in Friday the 13th Part 2. It was created by Victor Miller, Ron Kurz, Sean S. Cunningham, and Tom Savini. And then he's been portrayed by a couple actors here. Uh, we have Ari Lehman, uh, Warrington Gillette, Steve Dis- Daskowiz. Um, sure. <laughs> Richard Brooker, Ted White, Tom Morga, CJ Graham, Kane Hodder, Ken uh, Kersinger, and then Derek Mears. Um, and with a total... 146 deaths, and I don't think that counts the space station because there was definitely more than 146 people on there. Yeah, <laughs> he's, yeah no, right? Yeah, they, he's definitely number one mm-hmm. body count wise. Absolutely, he is, um, absolutely. Without monster. the space station, mm-hmm. so um, much like well, even more so than Michael Myers, he is a fucking force of exactly. nature. <laughs> So, um, all right, man. And that's why I had to argue him for number one. Not only is he that force of nature, but as on a iconicism level, his mask, his look, everything about him screams the absolute like slasher villain. No, you can literally put out like just a, you know, a picture of a hockey mask and people will say Jason. Yeah, exactly. Before they say hockey mask, people will say Jason. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't even realize that's a hockey mask, honestly, because hockey players don't wear that mask exactly. anymore. Like, goalies aren't walking around that fucking mask. So, um, yeah, no, I don't think there's anything more iconic than Jason's look when it comes to horror. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, you know, like Michael, um, he's been copycatted but never duplicated, you know, truly like over the years um yeah and mike michael he never really went that like true over the top you know kill style Mm -hmm. that jason does jason brings creativity to his kills (laughs) you know even though he's just a brute um you know it's the way that he brutalizes his victims you know with such style um you're truly you know as sick as it sounds, you're rooting for Jason. And it's all about, you know, um, you know, those classic like Tom Savini effects that, you know, he brought, you know, to the table. It, I mean, really the Friday 13th franchise really sparked that whole like kind of style that took over the eighties where it was all about the kill and like how they went about it and the effects and everything like that. Um, you know, it, it you know, even with the Halloween movies, it wasn't about that. You know, Halloween turned around and then started to kind of copy that, you know, whole style. So, I mean, yes, Halloween started it, but, you know, Friday the 13th brought this whole next level, you know, to like the murder and mayhem, if you will. Absolutely. So, um, you know, and then Jason has been able to go through so many styles and, you know, version of that character you know, from being just, a, a, you know, a bag-wearing, you know, redneck, you know, running around in the fucking woods to this fucking hulking, you know, maniac um, who's obviously a complete zombie. Mm-hmm. 
you know, after, I think six basically makes him a zombie. So, I, yeah, he gets struck by fucking lightning to come back to life. They go, mm-hmm. like, you know, pure universal monsters <laughs> at that point, which I love, you know. Like, I, I think I actually prefer zombie Jason over redneck, you know, and the forest Jason to a certain extent. Just because yes. it was something, just having, like, that whole, like, you know, supernatural, you know, mm-hmm. element to the character I thought brought so much. And then you just know that he's not going to die. I think it helped make, like, the way that his you know, victims dealt with him so much more interesting. You know, you got these, like, over-the-top deaths for Jason, mm-hmm. you know, at that point. Although 4 is pretty fucking classic with fucking Tommy Jarvis and the machete. I will say that. You know, um, he he unfortunately brought upon a lot of, you know, you know, slasher tropes that, you know, became you know, lapooned through the fucking years. Um, you know, but, you know, the fact that the series was, you know, the final chapter and it was only yes. part four, you know, <laughs> the new beginning at part five, um, you know, I mean, just the unkillable monster. So, um, but God, I love him. I do. I do. Do you have a favorite Jason kill? Kill. There was one, which you brought up a couple, uh, I think last year. Where he takes the sleeping bag and yes. he bangs it over and over again. That has stuck with me now since since we brought it up and I had to look it up and put it in a video of ours. Yes, at no, this point. It, it's a fantastic, so simple, but just mm. just fucking ferocious. I, I would say if I had to pick a, uh, I've always enjoyed when he attacks them um, in the middle of having sex. Pretty much, mm-hmm. um, one of my favorite ones, which is probably it's from Freddy versus Jason. Where he literally takes the bed and crunches them. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And that's not the first time he's done shit. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, with the back breaking. Exactly. Part six has a really good fucking where he he basically folds the sheriff in half backwards. Mm -hmm. Um, Just that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, Jason's kills. If you were like, you know, a gore hound, you know, Jason was really where it's at. And I think like, you know, besides like the Romero zombie movies, I think... the whole like fascination with like Fangoria kids, like with effects and everything like that come from a lot of the Jason movies, um, you know, and that has a lot to do with like Tom Savini and his effects and how creative he was with the kills. Um, you know, that's what makes Jason stand above a lot of the other like slashers at the time. Um, you know, and like I said, Michael had to like, like, you know, bring his game up mm-hmm. because of Jason um, which is crazy to think. So, um, it, uh, for me, I think my favorite kill with Jason, and I, you kind of stole my thunder with the sleeping bag. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. I'm gonna have to go with final chapter, the hitchhiker eating the fucking banana. Um, it's such a simple kill, mm-hmm. but something is truly disgusting about seeing that fucking chewed up banana coming out of her fucking mouth. And it disturbs me more mm. than the actual kill. It was such a smart choice by the filmmaker to fucking throw that in there. Because mm. I still have a hard time watching that scene because of that. I know that sounds ridiculous. But for <laughs> me... <laughs> and you stole, like I said, you stole the fucking sleeping bag. Um, and then also uh, part two, the fucking wheelchair. The kid in the wheelchair, you know, going down the stairs. Oh. I mean, <laughs> you, out of everyone that you think is fucking safe, you mm-hmm. think the guy in the wheelchair is safe and... Jason does not give a fuck. No. 
um, you know, which which is great. That's what makes the character great because a lot of those movies you feel like you know there's certain people that are safe. With Jason, no one's fucking safe. So, so okay. What's your favorite version of Jason? Surprisingly, I actually like Sackboy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, with the overalls and yeah, everything. Like I, I, I don't know what if it's just the look, but overall, for some reason, when he came out as you know him and the sack and everything, something a little bit more distinctive for me than the hockey mask. There's a little more edge to it, almost. Yeah, you know, I actually in the remake, I actually enjoyed him in the sack more than I enjoyed him in the hockey mask. Um, I think just something so goofy about the guy being mm-hmm. overalls in part two that I, I have a hard time getting past that. But I do like the sack look. I won't lie. I do enjoy the sack look. But for me, you know, I, man, I'm going to have to say my favorite look-wise is probably part six. You know, his first, you know, go-around as a zombie, like when he like, truly comes back to life. I was waiting for you to say Jason in space. um the cyborg jason isn't bad uh you know i I wasn't a huge fan of his look before he became a cyborg though i felt Mm -hmm. like they went a little lazy with it where like it truly just felt like kane hotter with a hockey mask on um uh for me favorite actor favorite performance wise i would have to go with kane hotter just because of the physicality they brought to the role Um, just the way he moved everything. I think, you know, people have been trying to duplicate that, you know, it, not just in Friday the 13th movies, in just, you know, the slasher genre for years now. Um, just, you know, how his, you know, almost like his head and body were completely, like, fused together. Like, he would have to move his whole body to, like, you mm-hmm. know, turn and everything. Like, I just love the way he moves. So, um, yeah, so portray-wise... Is is he in um, Jason Takes Manhattan? Yes, that's him. Okay, yeah, you can take. I'll, I'll okay. cut in afterwards. <laughs> okay. Um. So portrayal wise, it would definitely have to mm-hmm. be Kane Hodder for me. He's such like an ambassador for horror in general now. Um, just you know, he does every fucking convention. He does every documentary. Um, you know he truly is like carrying the torch for the genre so you've got to respect that and i love that his career is being able to like continue on as like victor crawley and the hatchet series and everything like that um so yeah no it's got to be kane hotter for me gotcha i mean when you when you do bring up his physicality like I'm a, the first thing i'm thinking of is him stomping on new york for the he, first time and just kicks the boom box away yes yes he's just <laughs> fucking walking yes. violence at that point so yeah no that's that's a Great, great. I mean, the movie's not great, but like, yeah, he's got some great moments in that. Movie. I would have to say, even even the bad sequels, I do still enjoy them. There is a level to them where I can still sit there and enjoy. Whereas, like, if I think about, like, as I said, of number five of um, Nightmare on Elm Street, it's just like there's there's an element to that film where I just can't stand it. Mm-hmm. Whereas this, every sequel, I can at least enjoy some nonsense of it. Yes, yes. And a lot of it has to do with the kills. Exactly. <laughs> really, it's just those creative fucking kills. Like I said, uh, you know, Jason Takes Manhattan's not a great film. No. <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. 
Um, but yes, no, um, him boxing the fucking gold glove guy, mm-hmm. you know, on the roof and knocking his head off, you know, just fucking ridiculousness, but still entertaining, still fun. So, um, but yeah, no, I, I, Jason definitely deserves to be number one on our list. I'm glad that we could agree on that. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Can we call it a tie? Uh, no. no, no, we can't. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Jason's number one. Yes. All right, so those were our favorite horror icons. Um, you know, hope you enjoyed the countdown. Let us know what you think. You know, reach out to us on social media. Um, give us your, you know, top horror icons. Exactly. You know, we, we want to hear from you, the people. Yeah, so. we want to know if we missed anyone on your list. Absolutely. So go ahead and reach out and give us a follow. Exactly. And since it's our Halloween special and we've got some other shit to talk about, and there wasn't tons of news this week, we're going to go ahead and do it lightning round style. Are you ready, Christian? I'm ready. All right. So every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors in nerdum. We are not mild-mannered reporters. We are mere podcasters with opinions. So let's get into the news. Yes, firing right off, we got David Benioff and D.B. Weiss exiting Star Wars. Uh, which is, I think, is insane. <laughs> yes, so those are the Game of Thrones guys, right? Mm. Uh, they are going to leave their trilogy hopes behind, I guess? Uh, they they say it's because they have a $250 million a year contract with Netflix, and they want to focus on those properties so they get enough attention. I think that's BS. I think $250 million is maybe the bare minimum you'd make with a Star Wars film out there in general? (laughs) I'm either guessing, one, they got scared Mm -hmm. with all the backlash that they had from Game of Thrones. You know, like, do we want to kill our career by, you know, possibly putting out a bad Star Wars film? Or two, they secretly got fired because Mm -hmm. the Star Wars people got scared and were like, we don't want you touching our franchise. So, um, but yeah, it does sound a little weak, their their excuse. So, I mean, it is a lot to, you know, put on your plate, but eh. All right. So anyway, (laughs) moving on. Lightning round, right? (laughs) Fuck those guys. All right. All right. So next up, DC announces... New Green Lantern HBO Max series by Greg Berlanti. He's also going to be launching a series called Strange Adventures, a DC anthology series. Um, All right, Christian, thoughts on this? I think it's a good choice of a hero. Um, Definitely not any of the main three, but if anyone were to be on an HBO Max type series, I would say Green Lantern is a good fit. Um, I don't know how I feel about... I'm hoping that it's on a different grade than what we've gotten with a lot of the Arrowverse. I'm not a big fan. So like scale-wise? Scale and or- quality in general. <laughs> I, I feel like the Arrowverse is too campy for me nowadays. It's just... that's just. But I feel like part of that's like just due to their budget mm. on those shows. I feel like HBO, what makes that interesting is the fact that I feel like he'll have a lot more money to play with. Um, I especially hope so with telling a Green Lantern story. Mm-hmm. Um, just like like I was saying, scale wise, I mean, you're talking about like basically a space opera, so you're gonna have to really fucking shell out some decent money to make it look like an HBO quality show um, and series. So, and I be- I hope that's what they're going with carrying that HBO name. Mm-hmm. I know it's really just War- Warner Media's like streaming service, exactly. and they just chose the HBO name because people will you know perk their interest. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm guessing they're going to want the series to be quality. So, um, 
you know, and he's got he's got a huge following. You know, people love those Arrowverse shows. Yes. So I don't know much about them, so I can't comment either way. But I know when I look at the pictures, it definitely feels kind of cheesy, a little campy to me. So, but imagine, people swear by the Flash. People mm-hmm. love the Flash, and I Arrow's imagine, been on for like thirteen seasons at this point. Exactly, right? it's coming to an end. This, yes. this is their final season. Yes, and I imagine that's what they're hoping to fill the void with. Um, what Green Lantern do you go with? Um, I would. I mean, I would go with John, but that's just me. I agree. <laughs> I agree. I love John Stewart. I think he's the most interesting of the mm-hmm. Lanterns. You know, and I fell in love with him with the Justice League cartoon. Exactly. So he's he's been my Green Lantern for a while now. So um, I would definitely go with John. Um, and then I, I've got to say, I'm actually almost as intrigued about this whole uh, Strange Adventures show. Yes. Um, it definitely sounds kind of what, you know, Marvel was going to do with the What If series, um, where it's going to be like an anthology. And they, there's, they talk about it being like, you know, being like close-ended morality tales, um, you know, where it's about like heroes interacting, you know, with civilians you know, it's what I was kind of talking about, or at least it sounds like what I was kind of talking about my hopes for, like, the What If series to be. Almost like kind of like a Twilight Zone type mm-hmm. series or a Black Mirror type series. I, I, I'm kind of getting that vibe from at least their initial press statement. Hey, they have um, um, a producer from Twilight Zone on this as well. Oh, really? Like, funny enough. Oh, look at that. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> So we'll see if they take it that route. Mm-hmm. So that could be cool. And I'm wondering, like, how many of the heroes they can use. Like, are, is there anyone who's off limits? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, man. It's, it definitely sounds intriguing to me. All right. And then lastly, we have HBO ordering the Game of Thrones spinoff House of the Dragons uh, to come to series. Yes. And this is off the news that they actually canceled the mm-hmm. uh, Naomi Watts uh, series that they actually filmed, like, a full pilot for. Um, that leaked this morning and then all of a sudden you know by evening we had this big announcement from hbo you know coming directly from hbo so um, i don't know if it was planned that way or if it was like okay well we gotta get this out there yeah they want to cover their bases right (laughs) um i don't know what do you think of the series because the idea for the series at least i mean i'm interested to know more about the targaryens but i i'm I feel like I'm limited right now, just based off of you know their history a yeah. little bit. Yeah, it's supposed, it's supposed to be set 300 years before the events of Game of Thrones. I mean, that's a that is a good spacer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that that's should a be a good enough cushion, right? I do. I am intrigued that the um, person that would be making the pilot is the one that directed the Battle of the Bastards and the Long Night. Which yeah. are the two like huge set piece yes. battles that they had? Yes, so he can go big if he mm. has to, and those are fantastic episodes. Exactly. So, um, yeah. Well, hey, man, there's nothing wrong with more Game of Thrones. Exactly. It's not the last season of the show, <laughs> right? <laughs> hey, those guys are gone anyway. They're on Netflix now, even out of Star Wars. <laughs> exactly. Right. All right, man. So that's gonna do it for the news this week. Uh, yeah, we had some trailers to talk about this week. Starting up, we got the Mandalorian. But bounty hunting is a complicated profession. They said you were coming. They said you were the best in the Parsec. 
Would you agree? Set in the Star Wars universe, the series will take place five years after the events of Return of the Jedi and follows a Mandalorian bounty hunter beyond the reaches of the New Republic. All right, man. So this is our second trailer. Yes. Uh, what were your thoughts, Christian? Hopefully the final trailer. For yeah, I agree. I don't need more than this, more. right? Uh, what were your thoughts? Um, we get to hear him speak. I was surprised that he even got one line in this um, trailer. I was, I was good with that, though. Mm-hmm. I don't need more. So I hope he's a man of little words. Exactly. You know, um, I was, I, there was a moment where I thought we were actually going to see him get his mask taken off. His oh, helmet taken off. That was definitely a tease. And mm-hmm. it probably will happen during the series, but maybe towards the end. I'm hoping that's like the only mm-hmm. scene you have that happen in. So um, overall, I, I, it definitely had a strong Western vibe to it, even more so than the last mm-hmm. trailer. Um, I liked the action sequences we saw. It looks like he's getting attacked by like Bosk-like creatures, mm-hmm. um, you know. But it it was a nice like fight sequence from what we saw of it. Uh, I love his armor and the way it's reflecting. Yes, um, lasers. Yes. No, I agree. I agree. It's almost got like a. It's like matted though, where it's not too fucking shiny or mm-hmm. polished or you know, it, but it's not too grimy at the same time. It's not Chrome Dome from the current trilogy. Yes, yes, you know? absolutely. So um, I'm just really excited to like delve into this world. Mm-hmm. Um, and now supposedly there's supposed to be a huge spoiler um, in the first episode for the Star Wars universe as a whole um, that they're being really fucking protective over where they showed like critics only like the first like 30 minutes of the first episode right now just because they don't want the spoiler to leak. So it's got to be a pretty fucking big yeah. deal. I'm wondering what that what that could possibly be about. I have no idea. Do you think it'll be some kind of like setup for like Rise of Skywalker? Potentially. This... I mean, they're going to be on Tatooine. Mm-hmm. We know that the, that's a planet he's definitely going to be on. I'm imagining that's going to be in the first episode, especially how how much of it we've seen throughout these trailers. Usually that's what you get is like a heavy emphasis on the first episode. Yeah. Um I just, I can't imagine what it would be unless it's like, you know, he's found one of um, Palpatine's like uh, layers on Tatooine, you know? Well, he's definitely dealing with fucking, you know, some kind of cell mm-hmm. of, you know, the Empire because you've got all these stormtroopers like throughout the whole trailer. Um, so I, I'm curious to see like what the deal is with that. We def- we saw what's his name from Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. He seems to be like leading you know, that unit. Um, Cause we even saw like death troopers, you know, with him. So, and there's actually a scene in the trailer where he like jumps upon his ship. Um, so he looks like to be one of the big bads at least of the series. So I mean, far. there's been speculation that he's just doing the orders, the final orders of Palpatine. Okay. Yeah. Which was a big part of a lot of these um, side stories and books that have come out so far. All right. Well, 
we will find out soon enough. November 12th is right around the corner. Exactly. So, but no, everything looks great. But yeah, like, like you were saying, I don't want to see any more trailers. Exactly. So, um, <laughs> but, we've gotten the perfect amount. Yes. No, really they have. So, um, all right. Uh, moving on. Yes. Another television series, Dracula. All right, so this series is brought to you by the people who did Sherlock over on BBC. Um, The series is being developed for broadcast and release on BBC One and Netflix um, and will consist of three episodes. Um, Callis Bang is set to star in the title role. Uh, This was... A mere teaser trailer, but it's the first one that we mm-hmm. got. Uh, I thought it looked fantastic. I was really excited by this. I didn't know what style we would get. Um, it feels very much... It feels uh, like there's some nods to like Francis Ford Coppola's mm-hmm. um, Dracula. So this is like a, a mere like montage, you know, of just different scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, but it definitely, for me, it had like a strong, like almost like Francis Ford Coppola, like vibe to it um just from like the scenes we like there was like these like shots of like creatures and shit going on um but something about that just kind of like reminded me of that movie um which i actually enjoy quite a bit so um you know but i love that you know uh mr bang because i'm not even gonna try to pronounce his first name (laughs) feels like he's really you know honoring the spirit of like bella gosi's dracula just look wise mm-hmm. at least so um i also like the look of the character um he definitely feels like he's kind of playing homage to like bella gosi just the the style and everything mm-hmm. like that i hope that you know we get that viciousness though of like christopher lee um where we can kind of see like the two sides so, but there's something haunting about like Bella Lugosi's portrayal of the character. So I want that element also mm-hmm. in there. Um, but yeah, no. How did you feel? I was just I was happy to see something being taken seriously in the vampire realm. Like a lot of the series that we've gotten lately, like Vampire Diaries and Twilight, and it's all just kind of teen dramas. Teen dramas. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm looking for something a little bit more. Um, just rooted. Rooted in that traditional sense of a vampire. The source material. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and this definitely looks like it's going to be. Um, I loved what we got from each uh, little montage moment. You know, the little gruesomeness of the nails being peeled off and stuff yes, like that. Yes, that was nice. That was I, a nice touch. Great effects. Or seeing the uh, pulse in the wrist. Yes. I, d- I did like that. Mm-hmm. But it is such a brief, you know, teaser trailer I had to watch it a couple times to catch everything. It, it just wasn't something that was on my radar at all. So when I saw it online in general, I was just like, oh, this this looks actually pretty decent. I'm, a, I'm you know, I'm used to British shows being only three episodes, but I, I want more in general. Yeah. You know? <laughs> we'll see, because the schedule is always weird mm-hmm. and everything like that. I know how, like, my wife was a fan of uh, the Sherlock, you know, series. But I know, like, the schedule's always weird, and there will be, like, years in between, mm-hmm. like, seasons and everything. So we'll see if that's like that, you know, if this is like that. So, um, but no, I, hey, man, let's make 
Dracula and vampires in general scary again. Yes. That's what I want. Absolutely. You know, <laughs> honor the material. Exactly. All right, well, uh, next up we have The Grudge. Detective Muldoon. This is Peter Spencer. Something happened to me at 44 Rayburn Drive. Someone was murdered at that house. Why did he never go into that place? Something never felt right about it. Looks like we got another one. Do you think that the body we found is related? Hello? I went to the house. Hello? Police department. I think something followed me home. Mommy? What's going on? What's wrong? We need to leave right now. After a young mother murders her family in her own house, a single mother and detective tries to investigate and solve the case. Later, she discovers the house is cursed by a vengeful ghost that dooms those who enter it with a violent death. Um, I was actually pretty surprised by this trailer. Um, you know, I there hasn't been much anything grudge in a while other than the last time when she fought samara which was hilarious but that was like exactly like right, that was over that was uh, um like seven years ago or so but yeah visually it looks really good so far um i like the cast um i think it's directed by nicholas pesci, pesci yes. who did uh piercings which we reviewed earlier this mm-hmm. year um so I think that's promising. I, even though I wasn't a huge fan of that film, um, I could definitely see him as you know a visionary, as a young enough coming director. Um, you know, really, pro- you know, promising. So um, I I liked the trailer overall. I was worried that it might be like showing us too much, um, but it was. You know, one of those things where it was, it gave us a little bit of narrative, but then it started doing the whole montage thing mm-hmm. where it was giving a lot of flashes. Um, so I, you couldn't connect the dots too much where I don't think it's like ruining scenes where some trailers, it just, you know, it's like, okay, I've seen the whole fucking movie at this point. So, um, and now I heard that this is actually supposed to be pretty much a sequel. Um, it's not like a straight like remake, like they, the, what happened in the first grudge happened, mm-hmm. you know, in this, you know, film universe. So I, I like that. I like that. They're not just like doing away with the original story and everything. So I don't know if it's supposed to be like the same spirit, um, haunting them, but, um, I thought it was cool with the idea of the ghost, like following you mm-hmm. know, the detective home, you know, and then there's that one scene in, the trailer where she's like okay we have to get out you know because that's what a mother would really say at this point (laughs) (laughs) but there was some really like stunning visuals like you were saying Mm. um you know uh the the cop coming upon the the corpse in the car and everything something that i wouldn't expect from like a grudge you know movie um you know there there's a lot of things happening like outside 
you know, where I, for me, for some reason, when I think of the Grudge, it's been years since I've seen it. I always feel like it's kind of a, like a smaller, more contained story where this seems like it's going to be kind of broader, um, you know, just storytelling wise. So it feels like the spirit's going to be kind of like following them around. I mean, it was originally rumored to be more almost um, anthological the way that they were going to put this film together, where it would be like three different people's stories dealing with this um, ghost. Now, I didn't get that feeling from this trailer. No, not at all, yeah. So I don't know if that's if that's a direction they'll continue with, but you know, there was definitely, um, it's definitely interesting elements there. Um, and this is being produced by Sam Raimi's Ghost House uh, production company. Mm-hmm. And this has Lynn Shea in it from Insidious. Yes, which she does owe me a better horror film. At this point, <laughs> that last Insidious film was was the awful. shits. Yes. I haven't seen it yet. I own it on Blu-ray. I picked it up for like dirt cheap because mm-hmm. um, I enjoy like the first two Insidious movies, but I haven't. I, I remember your review, so I haven't brought myself <laughs> to, to watch the fourth installment. Um, and then it also who else was in there? Oh, John Cho. Yes, right? he 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 starts off the trailer where I kind of felt like he was possibly the lead, but then it quickly shifts to the detectives. So um, we'll see how much he has to do in this movie. So, um, but yeah, no, definitely promising. I will say that. I will say the only thing that really did bother me watching this trailer is that it really fits the mold of every horror trailer I feel like I've seen this year in general. Like it's got that same structure and almost the same sounds it feels like the way that they're um, they are doing the music. It's got that, um, of course, the drum tap out of nowhere, and then it builds into something it else. Does have it, that. it has I that same it element. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm a sucker, but I did like it. But also, a lot of the trailers nowadays, I know we're critiquing just mm-hmm. trailer styles in general. Um, a lot of the trailers give you like a minute or two of narrative, and then it goes into that montage yes. sequence. And that's what this definitely does. So that, that's that been something a lot of the studios seem to be leaning on. Mm-hmm. I prefer that over the whole, like, we're going to tell you the whole fucking movie in two minutes. Yes, I agree. Because that was, I mean, God, that was a plague on, like, movie studios for a while. And we, you still see those trailers once mm-hmm. in a while, especially with horror movies. But I, I feel like we're getting less of that lately. I'm just saying, I wouldn't mind something different here and there mm-hmm. um like what we got with the original conjuring trailer where we got literally like just this maybe two minute scene oh. where it was just one scare basement. yes in the basement the clapping exactly yes i thought that was an amazing way to just draw me into this and didn't tell you shit about exactly the movie either so yeah no that i don't know maybe they kind of figured everyone knew you know the grudge mm-hmm. um you know we got the hand scene in the shower. Yes. I, I didn't need to see that. That would have been a nice surprise. So I guess they need to remind everyone what the grudge was. Maybe they felt that way. I don't know. But um, I, I felt that was a little unnecessary. But everything else I saw, though, visually, I mm-hmm. mean, looked good. But I, all I can say visual because that's what it really, you know, boils down mm-hmm. to the whole trailer. I do wish it was still that kind of blue black color scheme. That's just me being even more picky. <laughs> I'm, I'm okay with it. Mm-hmm. I, I think they needed to mix it up, you know. So I I got a little tired of that because it felt like every movie was doing that color scheme for a while. Yeah. That was kind of like the uh, palette for a lot of like the J-horror like remakes that we're getting, mm-hmm. you know, in the States. So 
I'm okay with them getting The it. ring is definitely that color. Oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> but there was a lot of movies that mm-hmm. like went with that color scheme. So I'm okay with it. Um, all right, man. So moving on. Yes, we both saw movies um, separately. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so let's review them. Yes. First up, we have three from... And now, our feature presentation... for the fugitives known as the Devil's Rejects resulted in a violent clash with police. Chances for survival are less than a million to one. There's no justice in this world. I am justice. They're trying to blame us, but we didn't do it. Free the three. Free the three. Free the three. Free the three. <laughs> Now we can have a real day of the dead. <laughs> May last words. Dad, I still want a party. I'm just a clown dancing for the sins of mankind. Did I just call me? is my death factory. You are the product. I love it. Grace Killers, Baby Firefly, Captain Spaulding, and Otis Driftwood unleash bloody mayhem after escaping from prison. All right, so Christian, full disclosure, I am a huge Rob Zombie fan. Um, I love his music, and I I love his movies. I I even am a Halloween two apologist. Um, <laughs> I eat the shit up. I won't lie. So with that being said, um, I was really looking forward to this movie, but unfortunately, I found Three from Hell to be rather disappointing. But it's not due to lack of effort. Um, you know, let's start off with like the positives. So like Rob Zombie as a director and a filmmaker is really like coming into his own as a storyteller, um, you know, especially like visually. Um, his shot selection's great um his movies all have this great like grit to them um that i feel like adds a lot to the film um it feels like you know like many of his movies like a movie that you could see like in a drive-in in the early 80s so um it really just captures the essence of the character and the story and the world that he's like kind of like built um, you know, which I enjoy, you know, I miss movies without that fucking polished sheen that so many of them have nowadays. So, um, but yeah, no. Another positive, the performances are all very strong. It's great to see the fireflies again. Um, it feels like you're visiting with old friends and I know that's fucked up, but you know, I love this cast of characters. Um, Sherry Moon Zombie she steals the show, which I didn't think I was would ever say. Um, you know, sh- for me, she's always been kind of like the weak link, um, just acting wise. Um, but 
man, she puts on this completely like unhinged performance. Um, you know, her character and the story is basically her character's been locked away for years and it's just completely like unraveled. Um, it reminds me like she's kind of like almost channeling like her like very own version of like Harley Quinn in a way. Um, just truly like unpredictable. Um, she feels like the biggest threat in the film and she's the most fun to watch, honestly. Um, the same goes for the supporting cast too. Um, Rob Zombie, what he doesn't really get credit for is that he brings on so many like seasoned vets and I think a lot of people think they're just for like really glorified like cameos and I mean that's part of it I mean a lot of it's to like honor the genre and all these great character actors that you know the genre has but at the same time like with Rob Zombie there's like no like small roles you know he fills those like you know tiny roles with like these great performers that you know bring so much to the scene that makes the scene like feel like lived in and real I, I think that goes really like you know overlooked at times like how important those like background players really are in a movie because all it takes is like a shitty performance by like a side character mm -hmm. but that's kind of where like my positives stop um let's talk about why the film doesn't work <laughs> Um, so first off, the first 20 minutes or so, they start off by like catching the audience up to speed to like where the characters are by doing this kind of like pseudo documentary. Um, for 20 minutes, yes. So it's like through like news clips and everything like that, but there's like a narration going on and it, it just doesn't work. It feels very, like, hokey. It doesn't feel authentic at all. And I think part of the reason is, like, at this point, like, we as an audience, you've seen so many great documentaries that this just doesn't come off well at all. You know, it just doesn't work. So um feels almost like fan film. You know, where, like, someone wanted to make their own, like, Devil's Rejects, mm -hmm. you know, sequel. Um it just doesn't it doesn't work it really doesn't work so um which is it, it, it's a long time to stay in that kind of where i was like oh my god is the whole movie like this <laughs> you know i was really concerned um now I, I do feel like it potentially could have worked like you know maybe not for 20 minutes but like in some ways if it like took itself seriously um because we like like i was saying we've seen some good documentaries so if it felt something like that, you know, um, like maybe like even like in the vein of like Mindhunter or something, you know, then I feel like maybe I would have been more accepting of it. But eh, no, it was a total miss for me. It's not like how you want to start off your film. I thought it was just it just was a bad note to really, you know, start the film off that way. Mm -hmm. So my next major issue is something that's completely out of like Rob Zombie's hands. And it's the lack of Captain Spaulding. So I guess two weeks before they started production, um, he realized that Sid Haig wasn't going to be able to perform the role um, as written um, on page. Because I guess Captain Spaulding was supposed to be like throughout the entire movie, 
up to like the final scene. So it, it it's unfortunate. <laughs> and I can't imagine like being two weeks out of production and like having to completely rewrite the script. Mm-hmm. But that's what he did. So I mean unfortunately it it really hurt the film captain spaulding like for me is like the glue that makes like these films work he's like the bridge between like the firefly world and like the real world and you know he adds that like patriarch dynamic to the movie um it, it sorely missed that you know he's such a big part of the chemistry between like you know the fireflies so it, it almost felt aimless without him. Um, well, I, once again, like I understand, you know, it just, it was completely out of Rob Zombie's hands. There's nothing you can do. I just, I, I can't, I, I really want to know what that film, I hope he like releases the script to see what it would be like, you know, what that movie would have been like with, you know, Captain Spaulding involved. So, but I did feel like at the same time, like the way they kind of wrote off the character it wasn't dismissive you know um but at the same time i don't think they used it to its full potential so and obviously you know spoilers you know i'm gonna i'm gonna go light on like plot details but spoilers um you know they they basically have him die in prison but I felt like it could have been a bigger, like, character moment for the other Fireflies. Like, I would have liked to see Otis react more or, you know, Baby react more to it. I mean, they talk about it a little bit near the end of the movie, but you don't get much, you know, from it at all. Where I felt like it was just a wasted opportunity. Um, I would have also liked to see Spalding, even if it was off screen go out in bigger, more grand, like, fashion. Mm. You know, they kind of just, you know, mentioned it in a news report, and, you know, it sounds like every other, you know, death that happens, you know, um, on death row. So, it, I don't know. It was a, it was a little disappointing, because I was curious, you know, after this movie came out, like, how they would deal with the Spalding situation. Sid Haig is such a, you know, an awesome performer and a great actor, and, you know, he's meant so much to the movies where I just... It just sucks that, you know, this is how he kind of has to go out. Yeah. Um, he does have a little, like, monologue um, in the very beginning of the film, which was, you know, it was well done, but it, sad at the same time because you could see how weak he was. So it, it was a little depressing. Um, but, yeah, you know, because that, that character is so big and so over the top, you know, he just chewed up the scenery whenever he was on film, so... Mm. Um, but my biggest issue overall, and this once again is rooted in the Spalding problem, was the character of Foxy. It's who Rob like introduces to kind of become the third, you know, in the three from hell, like the third member. Mm-hmm. Um, he's supposed to be like the half brother of Otis and Baby. I don't know if he's related to Spalding at all or if he's related to Mother Firefly. But um, he feels very, like, shoehorned in and almost like an afterthought, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, Richard Brake is a phenomenal actor. I, I'm not a huge fan of 31, which was Zombie's last film, um, but he was, like, 
the one like shining, you know, element in the movie. Um, his character, Doomshead, I believe it's Doomshead, um, was a great character. But unfortunately, there wasn't much else in that film that I enjoyed. Um, I would have loved to see that character that he played, like, interact with, like, the Fireflies, you know. And I know, you know, he wanted it not to be, it's like, such a heavy contrast to the Fireflies. But I felt like you kind of got this almost, I don't know, Firefly light, you know, diet Firefly, if you will, version of the characters where he just felt lesser than, you know, everyone. And they even kind of joked about it, like, in one of the scenes where, like, Otis and Baby are, like, sitting there talking about how it's just, you know, those two, like, they're the only two left. And he's kind of like, well, I'm still here. I'm here with you guys. You know, and that's kind of, I felt like as an audience member watching this film, that's how I felt. I was like, eh, yeah, mm-hmm. you're just, it's, you're the only two left. <laughs> so, um, he just felt like a third wheel the entire time and not worthy of being one of the, like, three from hell. Um, you know, I, I, I'm sure it's due to, you know, the circumstances, though. So, I can't imagine you know, zombie wanting to throw in a character like mm. this just to throw it in without really any kind of, I don't know, there's no personality there for me. So, um, so, so even though, like, I think in the third act, the film does pick up, um, even though it's kind of rehashing a lot of what happens in, like, Devil's Rejects, just kind of, like, story-wise, <laughs> Um, it's just not enough to like salvage the film. There are definitely moments and characters that work, but you know, like the black Satans, I thought that was a great idea. Um, you know, visually just awesome looking, very typical Rob Zombie, but yeah, man, overall, like if I was going to grade this film, I'd probably give it a C, Mm. you know, which is unfortunate. Do you think that this film would have benefited from postponing production to maybe help fill time for writing yes a hundred percent because i feel like he would have come up with more of an interesting character worthy of carrying like the firefly mantle than what we got with you know foxy so it just the character brought nothing to the table whatsoever so like i I still am interested to see that script though with captain spalding what that Mm -hmm. would look like so i'm wondering if he had to change like major elements in the film or you know, what he had to cut and get rid of. Maybe Foxy was just literally, you know, saying Spalding's lines. I doubt it, but I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure there had to be some elements that he was using from I'm sure. I mean, with such short notice, Mm -hmm. but the characters just doesn't fit, you know? And like I said, you lose that whole family dynamic without Spalding, honestly. No, that's really unfortunate to hear. But like... you know, once again, on a, you know, on a better note, like a more positive note, Sherry Moon Zombie, I think, is coming to her own as an actress at least. So um, there are a lot of like Rob Zombie movies where I just felt like, you know, she's there because who she's married to, which mm-hmm. is fine. You know, he's the director and you do whatever the fuck he wants. But sometimes I felt like, OK, well, what if this role went to, you know, a better suited actress, um, you know? This film, you know, I was I was actually impressed with her performance. You know, I, I I really like what she brought to, you know, the character baby. And it just felt like a 
next level for that character. So, but yeah, no, I mean, if you're a Rob Zombie fan, you know, and a fan of Devil's Rejects, I mean, you're going to see this movie regardless. In that case, it's definitely like worth a watch. Just don't get your hopes too high. <laughs> All right. Well, I saw a movie All called right. The Lighthouse. What made your last keeper leave? He believed that there was some enchantment in the light. Went mad, he did. Tall tales. What? tale of two lighthouse keepers on a remote and mysterious New England island in the 1890s. Alright. <laughs> now I'm going to there's there's elements where I have to kind of spoil a little bit but I'm not going to give you any like anything that has to do with the mystery revolving around them stuff like that. No major plot So details. no major plot details. So light spoilers. It's very light. Caution. But I have to start this this is some of the best character work I think I've seen two guys trapped in a room doing. William Defoe and Robert Pattinson knock this film out of the fucking park. Um, you know, we get these two so we get these two characters. They're on the island and the film starts with this kind of a uh, the first half is very much, you know, what it's supposed to be for them. They are there to spend 4 weeks at this lighthouse and then they get relieved. Mm-hmm. That's the purpose. And, you know, you see um, throughout the time, William Defoe is kind of <sighs> babying and, you know, very much being the dominant force throughout this uh, throughout this time period. And very much Robert Pattinson is not good with authority. So you kind of have these bashing of heads. Uh, Robert Pattinson is kind of just putting his head down, just hoping for the four weeks to end type of deal. And once it gets to the end of the four weeks... Shit hits the fan. Um, a storm comes in, and now they're stuck there. So the rest of the film, what we got in that first four weeks, we had them building, you know, this weird relationship, but you know, it's it's still a relationship uh, where they're telling each other their histories and stuff like that. And then we have this unraveling of all of that. Like, what what did they tell was the truth? What was a lie? What was you know? And we're seeing that not only in their stories and the way that they are as characters, but we're seeing it unravel in their actual like set designs and pieces. Like the environment is tearing itself apart in front of them. Now there's, there's so much to delve into where it's like, 
you know, what is, what is the, what's inside the light in the lighthouse? What is, you know, um, is there mermaids that exist? You know, there's so many different little mysteries going on throughout this uh, film and there's no answer by the end. There's, there's no clear cut answer to tell you what was real and what wasn't. But you, I mean, you do come to your own conclusions. There's no hero in this uh, in this story. There's no clear cut good evil type character. You know, they both. While at times you might think, "Oh, you're behind William Defoe's character, Tom," you know, there's definitely something there that he's not telling the truth about. There's definitely elements there that he's not, you know, being um, straight up forward with exactly. There's definitely something going on with Robert Pattinson's character throughout the entire film. And and just the way that they unravel as people in this is amazingly well done. <laughs> you know, especially for just, you know, two guys in a lighthouse. You know, you don't expect you don't traditionally expect this amount of depth, I would say, in in madness. I would say this is like beyond Jack Nicholson in The Shining at points. Which is saying a lot. Exactly. Um so yeah, there's a lot to the mystery. I thought I would be bothered by the way it was filmed, which was a you know, 35 millimeter film, um, shot in kind of like I don't I don't know if you remember like back old school full screen like aspect ratios. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was is that the entire film. It's black and white. You know, I don't traditionally go to black and white films nowadays, mm-hmm. but it's it's it didn't bother me at all. I think the performances and the way it's done, how well everything is framed is is i don't know i didn't see the witch so i don't have oh you didn't see the i've witch. never seen the witch no okay all right so i don't have a frame of his work before but this was incredible the witch is pretty incredible too so i would definitely mm-hmm. check out the witch i'm sure you want to now after yeah exactly this, so. <laughs> um robert eggers i mean mm-hmm. is probably one of the most like promising you know you know young directors that you know the horror genre has and i don't think he'll be like you know pigeonholed into the horror genre mm-hmm. um but yeah no i was just his name alone being attached to this film made me want to see it so i'm really jealous right now that you <laughs> get to see this movie so hopefully i'll see it uh, soon no it's this is the first film i feel like this year where i'm going to people and saying if you can go to a theater yeah and hopefully it gets like that mm-hmm. You know, strong word of mouth, you know, following where, you know, they'll actually release it on a wider, like, level. Because right now it's just in, like, select theaters, um, which I was surprised by because The Witch was such a big hit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, I, I'm, I'm hoping to get a wider release out of this. Exactly. Um, there's, there's so many different elements. Like, there's this very much... There's points in this film where it's like, is there a relationship brewing between these two characters? And I mean like a sexual relationship. Okay. You know, it's not even just like the the different types of tensions that they build throughout this is, I, I don't know, just on a different level. Okay. Compared to most of the films that have come out this year. Um, I, I was definitely blown away by this. Right. And I would say this would be probably my first A I would be giving this year. Wow. First like straight A. Straight A. Okay. Wow, that's saying a lot. Mm-hmm. All right, man. Well, I will definitely be checking that out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's going to do it for this week and also for Horror Month. Yes. I hope everyone enjoyed. 
Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review as always. Let us know your thoughts. Um, you know, and tell a friend while you're at it. Exactly. Definitely comment below wherever you're listening to us on. Let us know what you thought of our choices. Yes, absolutely. And we want to hear your choices. Exactly. So um, next week we'll be back. Uh, we'll be talking wrestling again. Um, Crown Jewel will be in the books yes. so we can talk, <laughs> you know, uh, the evil giant that WWE is. Mm. And uh, we'll have an AEW preview for what the hell are they calling it? Full Gear. Full Gear, goddammit. Yes. Um, and we'll talk some comics again also. Absolutely. I think we've got a month without talking <laughs> comics. So we've just had so much horror to bring to people. <sighs> we had to put uh, comics on the back burner. Yes. So, uh, all right, but you know, before we go, make sure you check us out on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Give us a follow. We are your nerd hub for all the latest happening in nerdum. Um, and then you can also uh, help support the show by going ahead and getting you some awesome nerd swag over at prowrestlingtees.com and at Tee Public. Hmm. Um, help support the show, goddammit. Absolutely. Definitely make sure that you go over to dramacityproductions.com. You can check us out there. Otherwise, if you're not listening to us on your favorite podcast, go ahead, find us on your favorite one. Subscribe to us there. We're on every single podcast platform there is out there. So definitely go out and check us out. Um, Other than that, you're listening to Greg Brebner right now. That's right. He uh, actually... He's doing our outro music. He did our intro music also. So go ahead and uh, give him a follow over on Instagram. Um, All his information is in our bio right now. And you can go ahead and follow him on SoundCloud. He's got tons of great music. Exactly. All right. Well, that does it for the show. My name's Christian. And my name's Damon. And that's The Amazing Nerd Show. Happy Halloween. For 15 years, I've been obsessed to find out what was going on inside of him. It's been my life work and my ultimate failure. This force, this thing that lived inside of him came from a source too violent, too deadly for you to imagine. It it grew inside him, contaminating his soul. It was... Pure evil. What makes you think he'll come back here? This house is sacred to him. He has all his memories here. His rage! Mrs. Strode, I beg of you, don't let your family suffer the same fate that Laurie and her daughter suffered. Jamie, I... I I thought that... She's been found outside Haddonfield. Stabbed! What should I do? I, I've written it all down for you, but you haven't a moment to lose. Mrs. Strode, Michael Myers has come back to Haddonfield to kill. <laughs>